0: So that's why we have scenes to this day.
1: Hello, you're on the Terrace. We are the companion to Night Terrace, the time travel comedy for your ears. I'm Vaya, I'm sci-fi curious and a neighbour's enabler. And in this episode, we are unfurling episode six of series one of Night Terrace, The Last Hunt, written by Ben McKenzie, who is also the voice of Eddie Jones and is also here. Hello. Hello. I can't help myself. Is I just want to be Eddie again. It's so much fun. Has Eddie been enjoying listening to himself on the BBC? He's very confused. <laughs> <laughs> and I have the co-creator and head writer of the series, John Richards, back. Hello. Hello.
0: I'm also here. That's all I am today. So I'm just also <laughs> here. I guess <laughs> basically this is all been. So yeah, Ben will tell us many wonderful things about this
1: this fantastic episode. Have you been enjoying listening to the BBC? It's amazing.
0: Yeah, well, because also, I mean, we we talked before about how I listen to more audio probably than I watch telly, um, especially because of my commutes on the train. And yeah, it's just yeah you know, for me, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a dream come true. Just you know, and to open up my little iPlayer app and there's us, you know, our little picture. The other day there was like cuz it was the most popular review I put it and there was that day I opened it up and it was like David Mitchell David Sedaris and us you know sure. and that was that was pretty exciting yeah
1: so bucket list done yeah. well let's go into episode 6 so a little overview of where we are the episode takes us to the dreaming time of aboriginal australia through a story that is being passed down and that Anastasia and Eddie have woven themselves into They meet a local elder, Marawari, and a young hunter, Tangara, who are tracking a demonic beast and are more or less prehistoric counterparts of our Night Terrace heroes. And the foursome must get to the house at the bottom of the gorge while what turns out to be two beasts pursue them and Sue is really starting to give Anastasia the shits. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Now, this is a beautiful story. How did it come to be?
2: Actually, I think the inspiration for this episode is partly the fault of George Ivanov because um, a friend of the show who appears, he will appear in season two um, and also appears in the Eddie miniseries that we made uh, as part of the night season one Kickstarter. But he uh, he did a, a competition on his website where you could try and win a copy of one of the DVDs of Doctor Who. And his question was, if you could do any historical episode with Doctor Who, what would you do? And I, I thought about it and I'm like, well, I would go into the ancient past of Australia. Like I would go 50,000 years in Australia because you, you, no one ever tells stories about that time. And also you could have an absolutely 100% historical episode and still have monsters in it
0: because... Yeah, well, I think Megafauna was also... Because I think you and I both have, have, have had a bit of a Megafauna obsession. Yeah. Uh, I, I tried to get a feature film up once. that was kind of like a, a take on, um, on Jurassic Park. But with, but with megafauna. That would be awesome. Yeah. The the, the finale sequence had the uh, heroes having to lure them onto the Sydney Harbour Bridge and then blowing the Sydney Harbour Bridge up from either side so <laughs> that the, they are, uh, yeah. So the whole <laughs> so thing collapses with it. Yeah. Anyway, but um, yeah, megafauna are just amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I think also that the idea of being able to, to do, like you're saying, a monster story with a real life monster. Yeah.
1: And now, megafauna I only encountered recently, actually, because I was researching macropods for a mm. quiz show I yes, work do. on. Exactly. It's where the day took me and so that macropods is the kangaroo-wallaby family. Yeah. And megafauna were the precursors. To those creatures, yeah. like big versions.
0: There's like a big wombat and there's a big kangaroo, isn't there? Yeah, there's, there's, big... Oh,
1: there's
2: big lots of things. There's yeah. just lots of uh, marsupial animals that were much more varied in shape and, and size than they are now. Uh, and what we've got is kind of the distillation of what survived, but not just marsupials though. Like we used to have like really giant goannas,
0: yeah. like bigger than a crocodile. Like... And they're recognizable too with a bigger form, yeah. which are like, well, some of them are. Yeah, you, can yeah. see, you can see the current day wombat and go, I know what your ancestor looked like. Yeah, like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a great, uh, and some of, them, uh, some of them were not megafauna,
2: like some of the ancient animals were small. There's a great one, uh, if you go to Victoria Melbourne Museum, um, there's, a, there's one precursor to the platypus that's got this really cute, round, like massive button nose. It's like a platypus, but with an exaggerated koala nose on the front. <laughs> it's the cutest thing you've ever seen. Um,
1: See, so you could even do like a Land Before Time animated. Oh, megafauna yeah.
0: It'd be so good. Do a Miyazaki series, <laughs> yeah.
1: And hey, they're still cranking out the Jurassic Park, so we may get we, yeah, we, we may we, get an, we an may installment well
0: get to that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, I hope that we do. And I, look, and the um, I mean, I I have a friend too who's a palaeontologist. Shout out to Leah High if you're listening, and uh, who worked in Australia. She she did a degree in Australia and worked on um, you know, macropods. Actually, she um, named a species of macropod. I think, uh, and so she was a bit of a window for me into uh, megafauna because I was, I was a dinosaur kid growing up, but I knew that they're not the be beyond end all of paleontology because there's so many other animals that have existed and no longer exist. And there's so many fascinating ones, you know. Um, and a lot of the things that we think of as dinosaurs aren't even, you know, plesiosaurs, flying reptiles like pterodactyls, that sort of thing. They're not, um, they're not. They're not dinosaurs. So
0: there's even a line in that episode where Eddie asks Anastasia about what she knows about megafauna and she's like, oh, I don't know much, it was all dinosaurs when it came to mad scientists. Like, so, yeah, she only knows about dinosaurs because no one one uses megafauna.
1: Yeah, jerks. (laughs) Ben, did this beast come from an actual dreaming story that you came across? Well...
2: No, um, the beast comes more from actual paleontology. So okay. the, the marsupial lion uh, is, a, is an actual thing. It's, it's a nickname, marsupial lion. It probably didn't look that much like a lion, um, but it was roughly the same shape and size. Um, and uh, I think it's, it's something carnifex. It's been a while since... Uh, mega. Oh, no, I'm not going to remember it.
1: If you want me to clone a Thylacoleo carnifex, I need a live adult female specimen. Damn it, Hausen, you know I don't understand your damn science jargon. Use person words.
2: (sighs) Some of the descriptions of what it looks like in the episode come from me trying to translate some mock-ups that have been done of what it might have looked like into Eddie language, um, which was was a lot of fun. But to answer your question, I, I kind of deliberately didn't try to reinterpret any existing stories of the Dreaming because... One of the things, I, as you might imagine, as a white Australian guy coming to write a story about Aboriginal Australians, and not just Aboriginal Australians, but Aboriginal Australians in the distant past, I really wanted to be careful what I did and didn't include and, and did and didn't say. I actually consulted with Jason Tamaru, who who ended up being cast in the episode. Um, he works as a consultant. He, he works with uh, Malthouse Theatre um, doing that kind of work. And he was recommended to me by some playwright friends as someone I could talk to to say, look, this is the kind of story I want to tell, what's appropriate, what's not. And he gave me some some great um, parameters. I asked him a whole bunch of questions. And one of the things that I really didn't want to do was to try and, you know, that old sore of, uh, we're going to retell this legend and then claim it's all because of science fiction. Like aliens built the pyramids. The gods were actually aliens. Like, no, I didn't want to do any of that. Um, and one of the other things that I really liked about the idea was that I was telling a story about Aboriginal Australians that didn't have to be about colonisation and about, you know, the survival of invasion, um, which is a very important thing and it's a great story to tell. But I felt like all the stories that you saw about Aboriginal Australians were about that. And it's now really great to see since... And I don't think... I can't credit Night terrorist with this. But since then, we've seen a lot more stories where it's not about that. You know, we've seen Aboriginal superheroes, we've seen uh, Aboriginal, you know, pop singers. Um, great, There's a great new film, uh, Top End Wedding, is like looking
0: uh, amazing. See, um, yeah, because it's funny, I was thinking about Top End Wedding because uh, Brian Andy, who is, who is black, gay and hot, he's a triple threat. He wrote, he wrote an <laughs> article uh, in The Guardian about it the other day because, of course, I read The Guardian. It was interesting, he was putting out to see a film with a black, white-collar hero. You know, mm-hmm. like, so she's a lawyer. Miranda Tapsell's a lawyer. And it was really interesting. We sort of going, Yeah, hang on, have I seen a black lawyer? And it was the weird thing we suddenly realised. And it like, wasn't
1: the focus of the plot, that no, was no, just no, her no, job. Yeah.
0: That's her job. And you're going, Isn't that fascinating that we just aren't even used to seeing that?
1: It's actually a really tricky area in. In fiction, and I talk about this a lot in um, in book club. I'm in a book club with a few young adult authors and we're always talking about diversity and representation and they're all, we're all white women and they often struggle. Like they want to write diverse characters into their texts but they don't want to claim ownership of these stories and they're not going to leave um, marginalised voices out of their stories mm-hmm. but it's, it's a very fine line to walk between mm-hmm. yeah, my, telling the stories of minorities respectfully, not whitewashing them, giving them a voice, but also making way for um, new voices to yeah. come through. It's, there's a lot going on and you've got to be aware of it at all times.
2: Mm-hmm. And representation in audio is a weird thing too because if you're trying to be diverse in your casting, on screen, that's very apparent, right? You can, see, you can see people's ethnicities, you can see, you know, if they have a disability and they don't have to be doing anything related to that and you know it. Mm. But if you... Cast, you have a diverse cast in audio, you know, if everybody is Australian, whatever their background might be, like, you don't necessarily even
0: know. Although we did, yeah, because we did actually try to, mm. you know, it's not massively diverse, but we do have, you yeah. know, quite a handful of people in there. And the one thing I actually worry about too is that, that so far we've only managed to have Aboriginal actors in an episode set. And, and about tens of thousands of years yeah, ago. Yeah. Like, you know, it yeah. would be nice to have some Aboriginal characters in the present day or the future or on another planet.
2: Nyani Yarrahe, who plays the older hunter. Um, he he's like he's a phenomenal guy. Like um, Jason helped me find him, and uh, he he sometimes gets the nickname Black Elvis because he does he does do an Elvis impersonation. He can see He's a he's a triple threat. He can sing. He can dance. He can. He was amazing. Act.
0: He was so funny.
2: Yeah, and I when when he came in because I hadn't seen or heard him perform before. Because um, it's actually quite hard to find like any footage of him or recordings of him on the internet. Um, but when he came in. Um, he said, oh, and I, I could do this character. And he did this amazing
0: like English, yes. like Toph character voice. And I'm like, How, what? if we'd known this, we could have got, got you in. He's got this in. party piece. So he does this English toff, And I can't remember what the, it was, the routine actually was, but it's yeah. hilarious it to so watch. Good. Yeah, this man playing this complete defeat English
1: toff. Put a pin in that for Series 3. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's another thing. With casting, do you reach out to casting agents and then do you have to delve a bit deeper? We, and we, we tried to go
0: around officials as much as possible, is my, my memory.
1: Oh, well, a little bit.
2: I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't quite put it like that. But we we tended to direct approach actors because, you know, we didn't have a massive budget. Um, we were paying people, with uh, you know, worth
0: their time to come in well, for a few thing, hours. Remember, because we can't even say we're paying equity rate because there was no equity rate. Like, yeah. we, we tried to find out what we should be paying and there is no number or no description that's equivalent of what we're doing. And it was so weird to... Kind of have to
2: guess. We're not broadcast, and we're not commercials, and we're not animation, and those are the main three things that there are equity yeah. rates for when you're doing voice work. Um, and there is no
0: equity rate for like audio drama in Australia
2: because there's just
0: not enough. Yeah, there's of no being radio made. drama rate. Like it was just so weird. So we, we worked off what the BBC rate was, and later on we also found out from Big Finish. I think we were spot on what Big Finish paid. Yeah, we were pretty was, close,
2: which was weird. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and we we also didn't ask too much of people's time. Like we didn't expect them to. Um, You know, have memorized the script. We didn't do table reads. We we that was one of the reasons for the fast production schedule. Was partly to save money on hiring spaces because we didn't have that much cash, but also because we knew we weren't able to pay people a lot of money, and we didn't want them to have to spend too much time. We wanted them to come in, do the job, and so we were trying to cast people that we knew or that we knew were good because then we knew also that they could just come in and smash it, and then. Be
1: out. And it also it also means you're giving opportunities to people that don't necessarily have representation and this is good for their resume and yeah. Well let's be honest, yeah.
0: it got to the point where it was I think there was actually a point where Ben said we need fewer famous people because <laughs> it was getting a bit ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And I do remember um, we, we all had a giggling fit when we recorded the the credits for, for episode one of season two. Oh, that was ridiculous! You know, oh, it's like, I've looked ahead. Someone from Neighbours. Someone from oh. Doctor Who. John Clark. Like it was just this list of random people who shouldn't be in a thing. To I've, know.
1: Yes, I've skipped ahead, and series two, episode one has a stellar cast. Yeah, and,
0: like David Ashton and I uh, produced some songs for Outland for the TV series, and there is one song there, and it was hilarious to go it's big Sung by Chantuzi and the brasses by the Hunters and Collectors, like yeah, and it was just the ridiculousness <laughs> of who was ending up on these tracks.
1: But to our new international audience, a lot of this is a lot of these names are new to them. Like, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, people will be rushing to Google to type in Chantuzzi's, I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> who wouldn't?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, but the casting was interesting because also as it went on, it got easier and easier because the minute you go, oh well, you know, John Clark and, and yeah, you know, Jackie's there, and like this list of people we could start rolling
1: off. But also, you two are very sweet, because my point wasn't to shame you in your casting uh, processes. I just wanted to highlight that sometimes if you want to cast diverse roles, you have to go off the beaten track. Oh, and absolutely. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I see on a certain soap opera, the I can see in the credits the, a character's been given an, an ethnic name.
0: But it's not. But
1: it's yeah. like a, a redhead in the role. Yeah.
2: yeah. And look, while we're on that subject, I just want to give a quick shout out. A friend of mine um, does has is involved with this great movement called But Not That Many where this is an excuse that people go, well, I don't cast any, you know, person of this ethnicity, person with this kind of disability or whatever because there's not that many of them working in the industry. And they're like, oh, really? And so one of the things they're doing to demonstrate that's a load of nonsense is they're gathering people like from the, with the same kind of, you know, like uh, the first photo shoot they did was, let's get as many like Indian people, Indian oh, yeah, women yeah, yeah. who are actors or working in the entertainment industry together and take a big photo shoot of all of them together. Like there's heaps of them. Look yeah, at yeah. this assemblage. That's like beautiful. cast any of these people. Um, and they're continuing to do that. So I, I think that's a great movement to illustrate that you can find these people if you have the will.
1: I love it. They're big conversations. And they're important, and I love it. I do really love how Anastasia in this episode is just really relaxed and she's just happy to be here and she's not at a at a dangerous planet with aliens running at her. she's I really like that and then but also this is kind of the episode where she's the the most enraged when <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, there's a couple of line readings I loved firstly when she cracks it at Sue who appears in the form of a bird, and like a prehistoric <laughs> emu almost, that they call the runners. Are you a bird now? In many ways, yes, I am. Oh, I would have thought even you were tired of that line by now. In many ways, yes, I am. So the, the cracks are beginning to show. Then I loved when she had a go at Eddie. People don't explode in a vacuum, Eddie! I just wanted to know... What did her face look like when she performed that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, this is the benefit of having everybody in the same room because we're we're just we're acting, like we're behind a microphone, but we as much as possible, um, particularly Jackie and I because we're in so many scenes together, we're looking at each other while we're acting. And uh, it's it means we really do play off each other and we have those expressions on her face and she looked like really annoyed with me and and that really feeds into your performance because when when Jackie Woodburn is off opposite you, like, saying, don't be such an idiot. You can't help but go, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, it's, it really feeds into the performance. And it was,
0: yeah, I loved it. And It's, it's my favourite. Beautiful chemistry. Like, throughout the series, you and Jackie, it's it's just, you know, and you can't sort of create that kind of stuff, but it's just, it. you really believe that relationship, which I really like, and it, it does evolve, and it's, yeah. it's really lovely. Yeah.
2: And it's at a really nice point in this episode. I think I, I felt really lucky that... Um, I got to write the one that was at this point in the season because you know it's it, they've we've built up to a certain point and here we kind of see again their ideologies clashing a bit but they're much more comfortable with each other and that means not only are they more comfortable to be nice to each other they're more comfortable to disagree with each other mm-hmm. and be angry and so when Eddie doesn't know basic physics stuff that he should know if he's doing <laughs> a sort of physics degree like people don't explode in a vacuum <laughs> I put that in because you know there's part of me that gets frustrated when you see that kind of science misrepresented on screen in in fiction. And I'm just like, Anastasia would not stand for this. This is nonsense, right?
1: And she did have a lovely moment where she admitted to Tangara that Eddie's grown on me. And then I, for a moment I thought, hang on, Ben wrote this episode. Are you just trying to throw in a <laughs> bit of redemption for old Eddie in there? No,
0: we, it, want, we wanted them to be friends. It's a nice arc though because remember back in, um, is it Australis where she's going, oh, I can't just leave him. Can I? No, I can't. Oh, but then and it's a really, really yeah. beautiful thing where she, she kind of, you know, like, she definitely
2: wouldn't do that. And now. even in like, episode four, like just two episodes before, she's still like going, oh, should I go and check on him? He's probably in trouble. <laughs> And, and she's also like Riley saying, he's like, he's like, don't leave without me. And She's like, oh, I would never do that. And then she's like, why do I keep promising that? <laughs> yeah. and like That's only two episodes
0: before yeah. this. So. But even that though, that's at least, you know, she's now promising not to. She's gone from would I just dump him to I'm promising not to dump him against my better judgment to yeah. I probably wouldn't dump him. Yeah, I wouldn't. I like yeah. him now. He's all right.
1: And there is that lovely parallel between her and Eddie and the two hunters mm-hmm. because she realises the importance of an elder influencing the protege and the wisdom that you impart to the next person coming up, even though she bristles a bit at being called an elder herself. It's a nice dynamic. I enjoyed that Marawari was realising he was coming to the end of his hunting journey. And then I found interesting that when you finish being a hunter, you become the storyteller. And that you, I guess you can't tell stories unless you've experienced life.
0: Yeah. I really liked the balancing in this episode. There's that really interesting thing of... Yeah, you know, so we start off with it, it's a story being told to a classroom. And so there's that balance to it because also it made me laugh the bit where um, when she's trying to Sue that Anastasia says that, that you know, this, this adventure wouldn't pass the Bechdel test because we're the only two women here. But, of course, we start off with two women. We end the episode with two women. Like, it's, it's this really interesting kind of balance I, to, to what's going on with that.
1: And for, for, for those people that listen to this would 100% know what the Bechdel test is. But yeah. for the odd person who wouldn't, it's, it's the, the concept of a narrative passing the Bechdel test when it has two women in a scene having a discussion not about men. Mm. And it's super, super rare. In fact...
0: It is weird how rare it is. Yeah, Yeah. I
1: I threw shade at Neighbours because they recently did an all-female episode of... uh, the show for International Women's Day, written, directed, starring all the women of the show, and it didn't pass the Bechdel oh, test. they were talking
0: about in, men the whole time. In the
1: first scene, they were talking about Carl Kennedy or something. And yeah. I was like, come on!
0: <laughs> what, what is fascinating about that too, because um, I've heard people argue against it, but that whole thing of like, if you reversed it and said about men, like everything would pass. And it's meant to be a really low bar.
2: Like it's not meant yeah. to be like, yeah. this is what everything's got to be. It's like, all you got to do is have one scene in your thing that does this, and it passes, and the... Point is like so few things pass; it's yeah. just
0: ridiculous. And that's why I thought it was hilarious that you've got that. I mean, because I love the um, the the school scenes. I really uh, gorgeous. I, yeah, because we haven't mentioned. Naomi Recovina also plays the the barmaid in, in, the, in next Discord, right. yeah. the next episode. Right, in the next episode. And you would never pick them as being the same person. Like she's she's. I don't know. I'm so impressed with her role here. Where she mm-hmm. she sounds at least twenty, thirty years older than she actually is. And yeah, she nailed it. Yeah, and and of course, Aaron, who we um. We worked with again as well, so Erin uh, Saunders, we, we did a live episode, um, she plays a little girl. So funny and such perfect timing.
1: I was Googling her because I thought I recognised the name and. She's a teen Instagram influencer now. So she... <laughs>
2: oh, oh, quick. You don't know that. Tell her. Yeah, no, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is awesome. I'm going to have to find the...
0: More or less. Get Erin to plug this. Plug the hell out of the night terror screen.
1: <laughs> yes, that's yeah, yeah. that's where the audiences are. Yeah.
2: We found her because she worked with Petra mm. on Sonicsburg, the um, weird sort of spooky supernatural TV show that she made for Channel 31. Really? Um, with a local Melbourne team, which was amazing. And
0: I had no idea yeah, that she's me pictures, like... She's a grown-up. She's a supermodel. Yeah. <laughs> she's amazing. But she's very funny. And, yeah, and, and her, her tone and delivery I find very funny. And I also just love that whole thing. That's what storytelling is really lovely too. But. Yeah, it was a big theme through the episode. Because mm-hmm. yeah.
1: that, that's a tall order for a kid actor, a voice actor at that, mm. to come in and... There were punchlines she was nailing. Oh,
2: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I, from memory, we didn't have to get her to do many second takes. No. Um, I think she just has a really good sort of natural sense of it. And also, um, and I hadn't really started, I, I work with kids a lot now and I'd only sort of just started doing it when we were doing the season one of Nine Terrorists. So I, I hadn't had that much experience, but I, I was consciously trying to write lines that I'm like, I can imagine how a kid would say this and I think this would, that's how it would work. So I was trying to make it easy for her, but no, you know, most of the credit's got to go to her. She really nailed it. It was great.
1: I did enjoy when they're talking about the team of four Diverging in two different directions, and she goes. oh, They've split the party. Never split the party.
0: That was a line that Ben had to explain to me. Apparently, right, it was a look, gaming thing. I, I just wanted understand. to get a
2: Dungeons and Dragons reference in there <laughs> somewhere, and and I like because as we reveal at the end, like that that's far in the future. That storytelling section, it's not happening in contemporary Australia. It's happening sometime in the future. I just like the idea that some of these things are still around, like that that basic wisdom about what you do in an adventure game is you don't split up your group and go <laughs> in separate places; you're all going to die. Um, you, you, you stick together, uh, and also just the idea that these stories continue to live mm. on. I also really liked that idea because we kind of because we kind of dodged the whole idea of what what Aboriginal Australians think about the Starship Australis going off into space and leaving Australia behind, and. I think it's good that we dodged it because it doesn't matter what answer we would give. Like, I think it would be a bit controversial and maybe disrespectful. It would be hard to, to get it right. Um, but I liked, I did like the idea that we wanted to say, no, this culture survives into the future. Mm-hmm. The stories survive into the future.
0: It's weird that this episode's actually what what they would have called a, a pure historical in, in something like Doctor Who in that mm. we don't really invent anything. Like, we dump our characters there, but, you know, it's a real creature. They're real hunters. Like, it's a real, you know, and yeah, they kind of spirit one away at the end, but the other one just gets killed by... The hunters, yeah.
1: a- animals. Here we're talking
0: about, yeah, about. yes, yeah, not the, or not the hunters, but the, <laughs> the, the megafauna. So yeah. yeah, it's it's funny in some ways that that yeah, there's actually very little science fiction in the the main plot,
1: and that Eddie uses his modern tech, his modern gadget, his phone, mm-hmm. in order to get the creature out of the house. They show it its twin sister via a the, selfie. Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> of selfie it.
2: of the thing. I just really liked that, and I I just I mean because we never. It's one of those weird things that you you never saw mobile phones in a lot of science fiction or horror until very recently. Mm. And I, I find it fascinating, actually, that in general, mainstream fiction and particularly film is about 10 to 15 years behind on mm. technology. Yep. And I think that there's a very simple explanation that they just want to make sure that everything in the film is very familiar to people. So even when they show touchscreen interfaces, like that's something you only see now unless it's supposed to be the future. Um when they've been around for about a decade because now everybody has seen one and they're not going to go, what is he doing with that glass? Like, Mm -hmm. what's that all about? Um, And I wanted Eddie to have a phone and to be doing something with it that might be useful. But also, there's a couple of nice little moments in here and it's weird writing for yourself, uh, for your own character and thinking, what do I want to do? And being able to say, I want to do this, I'm going to put it in. Just there's that little melancholy moment where he's like thinking about maybe I'll never get home. Maybe I'll get a phone signal one day when I walk out the house and I'll be able to like call somebody. And he never find out who he's going to call. And I and I I think we I don't know if we deliberately made the decision to not really talk too much about Eddie's past. We, we,
0: we did because it was that thing when we said it, it gets too bleak. Yeah. You know, if yeah. You, it's the same thing. Like if, for example, in Doctor Who, if if people actually did think about the experiences they've had, they'll have had that will have post traumatic stress disorder and yeah. not want to leave the TARDIS ever again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, yeah, you, know, you have to kind of hand wave a bit of real human emotion out, I think. And was this was easy. probably about
2: as much of that as we wanted yeah. to put in. And it was just, just a nice little moment, I thought, too.
1: And it does help me think of Eddie as a student, that, that early 20s sort of uh, part of your life where you sort of do abandon your family a little bit and you're going off... You're, it's like his gap year. Yeah, you, <laughs> it is, it is so you lose touch with people, yeah. and yeah. you're in that zone of trying to figure out who your people are and what you're going to do next. Yeah. So, yeah, it felt real. So, Ben, that resolution is is there a, is uh, is there a sci-fi foundation behind that
2: of the beast landing in the other place? Look, it, it's it's partly just because I wanted to do a Jurassic Park reference. But (laughs) But I was looking up my original notes for the outline for the episode and that scene is just labelled somewhere hilarious. And the note actually says, in a callback to a joke earlier in the episode, the beast lands somewhere appropriately funny. That's all it says. And this was before I'd even written the dialogue. So it was the idea was that the beast would land somewhere that was a callback. And I think one of my original ideas was that it would land on top of someone who was like mistreating animals in a circus and they mm. would be squashed to death.
1: So, John, did you... Now, as head writer, did you pull rank and add some detail then in that final scene?
0: No, I think probably all I did was... I, I seemed to make sure I, I wanted to know where it went. I think that was, a, that was a, certainly a, a thread mm. that I definitely wanted to, to know it went somewhere.
1: Which I, was which was a cloning lab where they're trying to clone the musu. Well, it, it was
0: a zoo in which people didn't want to see steam-powered uh, dinosaurs anymore. Yeah, I love yeah. that final scene. It's amazing to hear. It's, it's
2: just, I just put a whole bunch of steampunk in there because I thought, I don't know if I'll get another chance to do that. But Maybe it's also so
0: much fun, like the the, yeah. the gumption that Amanda Buckley and, and Petra are putting into those characters, and like, it's just so much fun to hear them chewing through. My favourite that where Petra says, "You know, the chances of arriving somewhere with the technology to to you know to do it like this."
2: Yeah, 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 fantastic. yeah. And I and I love that because I, I think really I didn't want to dump the creature anywhere where you know because it's a, the last one of its kind, and, mm. and is it going to survive? What's going to oh, happen to that's it? It's nice. And I was like, well, I want to put it somewhere where it can be brought back to life and can live live out its life happily and maybe, you know, they continue on and that meant, well, we need to get our cloning and technology. it with that
0: ongoing stories thing, because that bit at the end of the school thing where she says, you know, and this story will live on for another 50,000 years, it's really beautiful, it's a really touching moment to, like you're saying to, you know, these things can live on beyond us.
1: And um, can live on in podcast form.
0: Although just looking at this picture again that we're looking at, it mentions that the uh, the, the thylacoleo carnifex died out due to a global climate change. Oh. So that's that's a bit of fun, isn't it? Uh, a bit of
1: fun. Well, bringing it back know. to the present day. <laughs> yes. Again,
2: at the at the time, you know, one of the main theories was that there were a lot of the megafauna were actually hunted to extinction uh, either for food or in self defence mm-hmm. by the Australian population of the time. So you know, it's I, I don't I don't know that. I don't know how much the jury is out on that, but yeah. it's hard to tell.
0: It does say, luckily, it's, um, its its nearest relative did survive, which is the thylacine. So that's why we have thylacines to this day. Yeah. Everything's terrible.
1: Now, I didn't do any mm. sound advice this episode where I highlight any of the sound effects, but I did really enjoy hearing the fire crackling for a lot of scenes. Oh. That was very warm, warming, it's very literally. isn't it? Yeah. And those
2: nighttime scenes of, you know, rural, outside, outdoor Australia, I think it, it really does have its own sound and... Uh, David captured it perfectly. I also love the sound design
0: in that final scene. The final scene because it's, it's very epic. Like suddenly it's all just the bonkers, effects. right? Yeah.
1: Because yeah, right. David Ashton had nature in the first chunk <laughs> yes. and then at the very end all the sci-fi he sounds. Down <laughs>
0: with the sci-fi sounds.
1: So, th- that was a gorgeous episode. Let's now recommend some supplementary material while everyone waits for episode seven to drop.
0: Well, I keep recommending things people probably can't find. So, UK audience, here's a thing you probably can't find, but if you can, the last episode of Get Kraken, which is the series by the Cates, who did the catering show... Uh, it is this amazing episode in which the two Ks have to go to hospital um, and so we are left with the lovely Miranda Tapsell and Nakia Louie to host the show in their absence and it is the most astonishing, like, razor-sharp review of race in this country and that's before you even get to Miranda Tapsell's speech, which did, in fact, make me cry. It was so astonishingly well done. So if you can find Get Kraken Series 2, Episode 6, definitely worth it.
1: Kraken with a K. Ben?
2: Well, mine is if you if you enjoy this intersection of aboriginal people and science fiction and fantasy, I super recommend Clever Man, the Australian superhero series, um, which is just it's just it's just amazing. It's got so many things going on. It's kind of incredible. Um, I think we went to the Melbourne premiere of the first couple and of Briggs episodes. was there, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He wasn't
0: really famous then. He's really famous He's now. He's really famous <laughs> yeah. now,
2: yeah. But uh, the, it was just an extraordinary thing. And the, the first episode introduces something like 20 characters. Yeah, that's and astonishing. And there's like at least three major plot threads with lots of different characters in them that don't connect up immediately, but they'd soon do. Um, it's set sort of in a kind of near future, but roughly now kind of time, but in an alternate sort of universe where in Australia they discover... A race of non-human people called the hairy people, who are based on Aboriginal legends of non-human people, like the Yowies, If you've ever bought the chocolate
0: of the same name, <laughs> that is the, that's the same thing. they
2: yeah, they are a little bit like that, but also it's about the passing on of the title of the clever man, which is sort of like a an Aboriginal um, shaman, I guess is the played by Jack Charles. Isn't it? By Jack, oh, Charles, I love Jack Charles, but he passes it on to his nephew, who mm. maybe is not really ready for it uh, and is a bit of a jerk uh, and has to go through a growing up sort of. Phase. So, it's a nice sort of origin story there. I don't, I think it has been aired in the UK, but I'm not sure
0: where. Um, so, hopefully, you can find it. Weirdly, Miranda Tapsell, I think, is yeah. not in Clever Man. No, I don't think she is. Which is surprising.
1: But she is, she is in Top End Wedding, uh, which I will officially recommend in the correctly sanctioned area. <laughs> it's a romantic comedy that she produced and co wrote and stars in. And it's a beautiful, sweet love story of a couple that's getting married and they travel to the top end, which is Northern Territory, and uh, and then they put this wedding together and it's just delightful and it showcases a part of Australia I've never seen on mm-hmm. screen before. And, um, and also I'll throw in The Sapphires as a bonus recommendation oh, because Ben something. alluded to it before. Yeah. Based on a true story of a girl group of Aboriginal women in the 60s that tour to sing for the troops. Thank and you, yeah, it's a beautiful, just a beautiful story. Well, that's episode six. For more info on this podcast and Night Terrace itself, you can hit nightterrace.com. My show is Neighbours, the Neighbours recap podcast. We talk all about the goings-on in Erinsborough. It's at neighborspod.com. You can tweet us at nightterrace and use the hashtag on the terrace to chat about the episodes Keep an eye out, bbc.co.uk or the iPlayer app or BBC Sounds for the most recent episodes. I'm Vaya. We'll chat to you next time for another cover on the terrace. Bye. You have been listening to On the Terrace, a Splendid Chaps production. Find more entertainment for your ears at
0: splendidchaps dot com